You're listening to the Grassroots Church Podcast. We're a Jesus-centered community in Thunder Bay, Ontario. You can learn how to participate more by going to our website at grassroots.church. Well, hello everyone. Um, So this morning, uh, we are revisiting or recapping or reminding, uh, returning to a series that we did uh, this spring uh, on the Jesus Collective. And we're going to spend just two weeks looking at this uh, over the um, next little while. And I, uh, the reason why is because if you recall, some of you who were here in the spring, uh, we were in a bit of tumultuous sort of turmoil at the time, even more so than we currently are. Uh, we had just sold our building. Uh, we are just transitioning out of our interim pastor at that point. Uh, and by the way, for those who remember Steve Mills, uh, him and I had coffee this week, and him and Annette say hi, and they are doing quite well. He was just appointed as the new lead and teaching pastor at Grace Evangelical Free Church on Court Street. So uh, that's exciting for their, for their um, exciting news for them. And that's kind of where they're headed. Uh, and we had a great time. So he says hi, sends his love to everyone here. He misses us. And uh, anyway, we had a really encouraging conversation this, this week. So that was good. Um, so yeah, we were, they were transitioning out at the time. There's all sorts of uh, just upheaval in our community. Uh, and then we spent 11 or 12 weeks Uh, looking at the Jesus Collective, which was this new network of churches, this new sort of uh, organization that our church um, became a member of. Uh, And so you'll be forgiven if you can barely remember some of the stuff that we covered uh, during that time. For those who do kind of recall, you'll remember that we had sort of members within our community share one week on one of uh, the five pillars of the Jesus Collective, and then the following week we had a conversation or a discussion time as a group to kind of flesh some of that stuff out a little bit, and, uh, and it, was, it was good, but uh, again, um, you know, there's 11 or 12 weeks of that, and that was a couple months ago, and so you might be wondering, like, is Pastor Steve beating a dead horse? So you might be saying, is Steve beating a dead horse? And you might have a case to be made there. But if you'll bear with me this morning and next week, um, hopefully this will be a good reminder, especially, and I've got, I've got four kind of main reasons why I think it's a good idea to kind of revisit this. Number one, Grassroots Church is a Jesus Collective partner, and because of this, um, we align with Jesus Collective Theology, or Grassroots aligns with Jesus Collective Theology, and so as a community, we should be fairly familiar with their theology. Um, it's important to know the theology that we as a, uh, as a community um, subscribe to, and this is not to say that you personally have to be on board with everything that Jesus Collective says, or even what Grassroots says. You're welcome to attend our church wherever you're at, um, but it's good to know where the Jesus Collective stands and then where Grassroots stands. And so you are familiar with, uh, you know, the teaching from the front. What's the perspective that's uh, being taught from the front on Sunday mornings? And uh, so having this, uh, the Jesus Collective's theology kind of like, you know, push down our throats a little bit is good for us because it'll help us to become much more familiar with it. Number two, Jesus Collective helps shape our community's identity. Uh, This is... Again, sort of um, one of the reasons we joined the Jesus Collective to begin with is because Grassroots isn't part of a denomination. Uh, We started in 2002, as some of you in this room were there, as sort of a home church and never became a part of a particular denomination. Um, And so one of the challenges that comes with uh, being non-denominational is that we can't really 
point to something and say, we're part of that, right? Um, and this is pros and cons to it. There's definitely a, a good discussion to be made on both sides of this. But <clears throat> one of the questions that often comes from people in the larger community is, well, what kind of church are you then? Like, what, what kind of community are you? And now that we're members of Jesus Collective, we can say something like, we're part of a large network of churches called Jesus Collective. And then when they ask, well, what's that? We can, um, well, that's kind of what we're doing here in the next two weeks. We're going to clarify, what is that? What is this Jesus Collective? What is, what is that that they stand for? What is it that they believe? And, um, and after these two Sundays, I want us all to be able to say, Jesus Collective is this. And this is what Jesus Collective believes, and this is what uh, Jesus Collective stands for, and therefore this is what Grassroots Church believes and Grassroots Church stands for. Um, This is how they operate, and this is what they're trying to do in the world, and Grassroots is also on board with that. And so it gives us a sense of identity that we can help, uh, um, that can help us formulate what is Grassroots Church, who are we, and what are we all about. And then third, our community's teaching flows from Jesus Collective, which is somewhat tied to the first one, uh, but I'm thinking especially of the next series that we're going to be looking into, which is uh, a book in Galatia, uh, the book of Galatians, and specifically as we learn how to uh, disagree well with one another, which happens to be one of the five pillars that we'll look at over the next two weeks. Um, but not just the next series, but all of the teaching that comes through uh, Grassroots Church from the pulpit, from the front of the church, I hope will emerge from the same sort of uh, the heart and the same sort of uh, ideas and teachings from uh, uh, Jesus Collective. And finally, there are new people in our church. And so you probably weren't here. Some of you weren't here in the spring. And so you have no idea what Jesus Collective is about. And so this is great for you as well as we um, dive into this a little bit and you can become a little bit more familiar with it as well. So that's four reasons why I think it's a good idea to revisit Jesus Collective. So I'm not... Re- okay, so maybe I'm beating a dead horse a little bit, but I think in the end it'll still be worth it and I hope you will track with us as well. So if I were to summarize Jesus Collective and, and, and just kind of like put their whole shtick into one sentence, it would be, in my words, a movement intent on putting Jesus back at the center of our theology, our faith, and our life. And I'll expound on this a little bit uh, in, the, in the next little while here, but um, first let me just tell you why I love this idea of recentering Jesus and and, and putting Jesus as the lens in which we um, work out our faith and work out our understanding of God, work out our understanding of how we read Scripture and why this matters to me. Uh, Many of you know that I used to work uh, at the health unit just down the street here. And the, um, (coughs) every day, well, typically when it was nice out, uh, we would go for a walk down the river it was a 15-minute walk because we, uh, we go to the bridge, we turn around, we come back. And basically, whoever was free at the time would uh, walk down the river, and um, usually three or five of us. But sometimes there would be just one person who was free, so it would be me and someone else would walk down. And I had this sort of reputation at the health unit as being that weird religious guy. And uh, when you have a reputation like that, people are curious. And so often conversations got into religion. And if I'm walking uh, with just sort of one other person, typically, those conversations will often get deep really fast. And I absolutely love talking about this topic. If, if you've ever chatted with me, you know these things uh, are never uh, far from mind in my, in my uh, life and the conversations I get into. Um, but so I would have, have these conversations and say, hey, you know, 
what was your faith background? What did you grow up with? What was the kind of church you grew up with? And people would say, oh, I was raised Catholic, or we didn't go to church, or I was nominal. Uh, and then, you know, I started to ask them, like, what are your, like, what's your perception of Christianity? Like, how do you see religious people? And I know that this is familiar to most of you. They would say things like, oh, man, they're really judgmental. Um, they're bigoted. Uh, they are you know, homophobic, they are very exclusive, they just think they're better than everyone, self-righteous, like all these sort of negative adjectives. And I had to agree with a lot of it. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. Your critique is on, is it's honest. It's coming from a place of observation that you see in society and, and it's legit. It can't take that away from you. Um, and then they would always say, and that's why I have nothing to do with church today. Because I don't like religious people in general. I don't like that judgmental, self-righteous, blah, blah, blah uh, thing. And I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you. And then I would always say, and honestly, the conversation, it always sort of came around to this. Um, I would always say, but what about Jesus? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it's interesting you have such low tolerance for religious people because you know who else had low tolerance for religious people? Jesus. I'm like, in fact, if you go through the Gospels, you will see over and over and over again, the times that Jesus gets angry, the, time, the, the people that he reserves his harshest criticisms for are religious people. He has so little patience for them. He doesn't get mad at anyone else. He gets mad at religious people, just like you. And that always seemed to like tune their attention to me. Like, huh? Because... Their understanding of Jesus comes through their understanding of Christians and their connections with Christians in their world, right? Or whatever the media presents about religion and everything like that. And Jesus gets kind of like shoved behind all of that junk. And the beauty of Jesus gets lost on them. But when you start talking about this man who um, reached out, who cared for the oppressed, who, uh, you know, his heart was for um, restoring those on the fringes, restoring those who were uh, uh, basically castaways from society, and he was restoring their dignity and, and worked on healing them and bringing them into um, communion. When you start talking about that, they're like, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I like. And you start talking about Jesus' nonviolent way, his approach to power through nonviolent means which is subversive and goes against everything we know in our society, but that on some level is like, yeah, that, that's really appealing. I like that about Jesus, actually. When you start talking about the very character and the person of Jesus, people like that. Over and over again, my colleagues at the office would be like, you know what? I like that Jesus. I like that Jesus. I actually could get into that kind of Jesus. And that, to me, is why I like Jesus Collective. And the same is true for people who grew up with religious baggage, some in this church, who were like, you know what? The stuff that I grew up with in my church, uh, the way Jesus was presented, the way religion was presented to me, I really, I'm not into that. I'm not into that. I have been hurt by it. I've been... Um, you know, just, it, just, just a lot of rules and regulations and all this stuff that's holding me uh, down and I feel like it's oppressive and I feel like it's just not what God wants. And so oftentimes people just walk away from faith altogether. But again, in conversations I've had with those people, and you got to have sort of a trust relationship with these folks, 
in those conversations that you can be like, yeah, but have you encountered Jesus, like actually Jesus? Or was it just the church culture and the religion and all the self-righteous people that kind of clouded your understanding and your view? And when you start talking about Jesus and you start actually just like winnowing it all down and being like, yeah, what about Jesus? Time and again, people are like, you know what? I still like Jesus. I want to hold on to Jesus. I just don't want to hold on to the rest. And so I think there's like this twinge of hope there for the people like that. Um, people who maybe have a negative perception of Christianity, negative perception of followers of Jesus because of how the media portrays them, because of their own biases and, 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 and predisposition toward them, as well as people who grew up in the church. There's still hope, and that hope stands or falls on the person of Jesus. And this is why Jesus Collective resonates so well with me, because there is this emphasis on the centrality of Jesus. Not the Bible, not church, not religion, not any of the other things that are important, but the centrality is Jesus. And even if folks don't know about that beforehand, the problem is it's hard to see this Jesus because, again, we shrouded him in so much religiosity and we've cloaked him in all the theological terms and um, all this stuff that has made him abstract and distant. And he becomes just this sort of, for many of us, a means to an end, you know, like a get out of hell free card. Uh, he doesn't because he's not personal and we lose the reality, the connection with this personal Jesus. And so again, this is what Jesus Collective Network is really trying to help fix in the church. Uh, they've observed, folks in the Jesus Collective, people in, the, in the, this movement, have observed that the church, the capital C church in the West, has moved away from this centering of Jesus. And they emphasize sort of lesser elements of our, of our faith tradition. And this moving away or this drift has taken place over the past 500 years or so since the Reformation. And um, if you look around, it seems to have sped up over the past decade, few decades. And if you ask me, I think the emphasis on anything other than Jesus is at the heart of why Christians have such a bad reputation in our world today. Because Jesus is pretty cool. He's really cool. He's really great. And very rarely do you find someone, once you explain who this Jesus is, very rarely do you find someone who says, yeah, I'm not really into that. People are drawn to him. They like him. And it makes sense. Um, and so the Jesus Collective believes that. Uh, well, let me just put this quote on. This is straight from their website. This is what they say so that we understand exactly from the horse's mouth that was beaten. <laughs> Sorry. God is at work raising up a movement of churches, ministries, and disciples all around the world that are passionate about advancing a Jesus-centered, Jesus-looking kingdom. That's what Jesus Collective cares about. So if you're a member of Grassroots Church, this is what we care about. This is a movement with roots in the Anabaptist Radical Reformation, but one that welcomes Jesus' followers from a wide range of backgrounds and contexts to the party. We place Jesus at the center of everything, choosing in our differences to unite around him in a polarized world. But this movement is still fragmented, under-resourced, and without an identifiable voice or relational hub, and so the Jesus Collective exists to meet this important need. So there's this observation taking place that there's this drift away from the centrality of Jesus in the church at large. 
Uh, and there is this movement toward recentering Jesus, to bringing him back toward the center. And the Jesus Collective is this network of churches that tries to be basically, um, to act as a hub to help sort of organize this in a sense. That's, that's essentially what the Jesus Collective is. In a nutshell, um, they want to provide the world a more hopeful Christian, uh, oops, well, a more hopeful Christian expression that is centered on Jesus. And so how do they do this? They do it primarily through two ways, relationships and resources. So relationships, Jesus Collective strengthens a Jesus-centered movement by connecting people together. And so we, Grassroots Church, are a partner, um, and one of the ways that we join into this relationship-building thing is through a thing called hubs. Uh, Hubs are a group of four or five people from each community, so this, from this grassroots church, I'm the hub representative, and we meet uh, once a month and for soul care, to learn from each other, to dig into conversations that are shaping our world, and pr- to provide uh, a Jesus-centered lens on those conversations. And then there are partner summits, uh, there are Unite gatherings, which is a gathering of all the sort of Jesus collective people in the world. They kind of gather together. And this year in April, FYI, it's happening in Minneapolis. So if that's something you'd want to go to, uh, feel free. That's pretty convenient because it's six hours away. Um, So those are sort of the ways that relationships build. And then there are resources. And resources are just, they have podcasts and blogs and books and articles and videos. And they have this shared resource library for all Jesus Collective partners to access online. And all of it is with the intent to help fuel a Jesus-centered Christianity and introduce more and more people and more and more communities of faith to this unfolding movement. Uh, And one such resource I want to tell you about, I actually just came across my desk this week, and it was really exciting. Um, There is this video series being produced currently that is a seven-part series, and it's called the Jesus-Centered Fundamentals. And each one is about 30 minutes long. It's, they're fairly highly produced videos. They're really good. And it's just a conversation between um, a pastor and a theologian or a scholar or whatever. And they're talking about sort of the fundamentals of what a Jesus-centered theology looks like. And so they're talking about all sorts of other things. I watched the first video this week. Absolutely floored by it. I was like, yeah, this is great stuff. And maybe it's great because it just aligns well with where I'm at. Uh, but I think our community would really benefit from it as well. And so right now, um, these videos are being sort of... Uh, tested out, piloted with, with the hubs, and then in the spring of next year, of April 2024, we'll be releasing it to the wider audience. So I want to just show you just a 30-second trailer to give you an idea of what kind of resources are being produced. Uh, we're, we're family. We're brothers and sisters of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who creates that reality. And that's where the Jesus-centered answer, of course, very logically is that we come back to Jesus. God has created us so that we need one another. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of us, that can be a very scary proposition, right? right? What is a attached to Jesus. He's the one that wins in the end. So laying a center for a Christocentric faith. Those are the kinds of resources that this organization, this network is producing. And so we, as a member of the uh, Jesus Collective, get to tap into that um, as part of our part of the deal. Uh, so that, that's an exciting aspect you can be looking forward to. I'm sure we will be sharing that down the road as well. Now, there are some values that shape the Jesus Collective uh, uh, organization, and I thought I'd just run through those as well. So, uh, so number one, humble curiosity. So there's this conviction that no matter where you're at in your faith journey, there is something that we can teach one another. So there is this desire to kind of lead with curiosity. And uh, there's this openness to always learning from others. I love that. Number two, um, 
embracing disruption. So this conviction that concedes that transformation takes place at points of disruption in our lives. That if it's smooth sailing all the time, chances are we're not going to have much change. There's not going to be much transformation. So we kind of embrace that disruption. We welcome being stretched. We welcome being challenged in how we think about our faith and how we live out our faith. Generous power. Uh, This is the conviction that Jesus' own model of self-emptying as the way of God is something that the Jesus Collective takes very seriously. It is a subversive way of understanding power. Uh, Power that is built on building others up and not motivated by control or desire for control, but motivated by love. Um, Courageous unity. Uh, Here, our identity is rooted in being followers of Jesus, and we learn from each other in our differences. So even in those differences, be they a different understanding of Scripture, be they the inclusion or exclusion of particular groups of people in our society, we remain committed to acknowledging others as members of this one body. And finally, radical transformation. So radical transformation is the conviction to go beyond just new ways of thinking or new ways of being. It is to pursue the alignment between what we claim about our beliefs and how our character is formed. That's how radical transformation takes place. So those are uh, Jesus' collective values. And if you look at that stuff, I think that as if you've been a member of Grassroots Church, you'd be like, you know what? Those are things that Grassroots Church has um, elevated for years anyway. That's part of the community's DNA. Uh, And so in some ways, this sort of transition from not being Jesus Collective to being Jesus Collective members is somewhat seamless because so much of what Jesus Collective is trying to promote, we as a community have already embraced. Um, We just didn't have the language, perhaps, to, to, um, to cloak it with. So like I said, in the spring, we spent a good amount of time looking at what were called the five markers of a Jesus-centered reformation. And uh, so for the remainder of this morning and then next week, I want to look at these five, again, just to kind of rehash them, uh, to again, help us become familiar with them. And so, as I mentioned earlier, there is this observation that has been made over the last little while that the church, and I say capital C church, uh, the church universal, is in a time of recalibrating or course correction. That we have kind of gotten off our center um, and, and this is a fair thing to assume would happen with any organization or institution or, or movement after 2,000 years of existence. Excuse me, you're going to drift away from the center. You're going to lose kind of touch at points with what matters most. Um, and so this drift, if you wanted to call it, that has happened somewhat periodically over the last two millennia. Uh, and time and time again, the Spirit of God moves us back to the center. And sort of uh, throughout history has drawn us back to remind us of what should be at the center, what matters most, how should we perceive uh, the world, how should we act and live in the world. And, you know, the Spirit of God just helps us get back on track. Um, And if you look around uh, what's happening in our world today, uh, with the way that our world is, it's easy to see how this drift has started to take place. Um, because we are in this, this moment of pretty serious drift right now. There are uh, crazy technological changes that have contributed to that. There are all sorts of scandals within uh, the clergy, with, for, with clergy and throughout the churches across the West. Um, there are 
countless divisions within the church, right? There are uh, ridiculous politics and the sort of interweaving of the church and, and this weaponizing of religion uh, with politics. And on and on it goes. And all of these things have contributed to this sort of getting off the rails uh, a little bit or just drift at, at the very least of the church and its movement away from the centering of Jesus. And so um, where there is drift, there is need to recalibrate, uh, to refocus, to get back on track and to kind of rehone what it is that matters most. And so the Jesus Collective has come up with these five, uh, what they call sort of core shifts or rediscoveries that can help us get back on track. And this morning, I'm just going to look at the first one and we're going to save the last four for next week. Um, and in that time, if you want, there are podcasts, there are all sorts of resources that dive into each one of these as well online, so you can feel free to go online and study that a little bit more. But, uh, so yeah, the first one, God always looks like Jesus, and all scriptures properly read through him. And this itself is a two-parter, right? God always looks like Jesus, that's one part, and then all scriptures properly read through him. So let's look just at the, uh, the first part, first of all. Uh, God always looks like Jesus. Now, if you've grown up in the church, if you're familiar um, with church language and sort of what you're supposed to believe growing up, I suspect that this is true uh, on an intellectual level for you. That you, if I were to say, who is Jesus? You would say, he's God, and God is Jesus, and, and that's fair, and that's on an intellectual level that makes sense. Um, because you've read your Bible, you know your verses that, that talk about Jesus being God, all that stuff is great. Um, but if you're like me, you might say, well, Jesus is the friendlier version of God. Raise your hand if that's something on, like, in, inside your head that you secretly think that that's true. Okay, I've seen a few hands. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> Most of us think that Jesus is the friendlier version of God. You know, um, and it's easy to think why we get that way. Jesus is mercy. God is justice. Jesus is grace, God is punishment. Jesus is peace, God uses violence. Jesus is restorative, that's his sense of justice. God is punitive, he needs an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, right? And somewhere along these lines, or maybe that's not exactly it, but it's sort of like that. This is the challenge for us as followers of Jesus as we embrace this first um, pillar, this first kind of core uh, transformation or core point about becoming a uh, Jesus-centered faith is reconciling Jesus with God. How do we do that? And so let me ask you this and, and be really honest. When you think of God the Father and when you think of Jesus the Son, is there a tension there? Is there a tension between your understanding of the Father and your understanding of the Son? Um, Andy Stanley uh, addressed this recently in a series called The Fundamental List, which is a eight-part series, I think, in which he or seven-part, in which he spells out seven sort of fundamentals of what is required to be a Christian. And pretty much like any Andy Stanley series, I would say you should go listen to that. Um, but the second item on the fundamental list, so this is the list that is like, if you're going to be calling yourself a Christian, a follower of God, here are the bare minimum things you need to believe to be a Jesus follower. Then the second item is that Jesus came to illustrate and demonstrate what God is like. Jesus came to illustrate and demonstrate what God the Father is like. 
that if you're going to be a Christian, it is fundamental, part of the very baseline faith, to believe that Jesus demonstrates what God the Father is like. Not just on an intellectual level, but on a heart level, that this is who the Father is. John 14, Jesus has just finished washing his disciples' feet. He's just talked about what kind of hardships are about to come his way. And his disciples are quite distraught by this news. They're like, this is, this is not what we expect of the Messiah. The Messiah shouldn't be doing this. The Messiah needs to, you know, take down the Romans and do all this. What do you mean getting, being suffered? You know, what do you mean all this suffering? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And, uh, and Jesus senses their distraughtness. And he says this in verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Stop for one second as we think about that. He says to his disciples, you believe in God. Well, I'm telling you to believe in me. It's the same deal. Right? If you're going to believe in God, believe in me. Which is either incredibly arrogant or he's on to something. And then, so he says... This next, he says in verse 7, If you know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. This is stuff that they've never heard before. This is like, what are you saying, Jesus? Like, you're saying that if we've seen you, we've seen the Father? Is that is equating you to, G, to God the Father. And in fact, Philip, one of his disciples, says, Lord, uh, just show us the Father and that will be enough. That's all you got to do. Just show us the Father. That's all we need. And, you know, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, okay, buddy, let me spell this out for you, right? Um, that's exactly why I've come and that's exactly why I've lived with you the past three years. I have shown you day in and day out the very character of God the Father. Everything you thought you understood about God the Father in the past has been reinterpreted and re-understood through me in the last three years I've demonstrated that to you in this ministry. Um, this is what he actually says. Oops. This is what he says. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. To which he then drops the mic and is like, Oh, Everyone in that room was like, what? No. But this was a profound statement that Jesus is saying to his disciples and to you and I. He's saying, listen, if you want to know who the Father is, the God revealed in the Old Testament, if you want to understand who that being is, then look at me. So instead of viewing Jesus as the pleasant side of God, we need to look at Jesus as the full and complete picture of who God is and what he looks like. Now, this bombshell that Jesus is dropping on his disciples, um, that he is the perfect representation of the Father, is not something that the Jesus Collective just pulled out of thin air and said, let's focus on that. This is something that the church has fundamentally lost sight of and lost track of. And this is why there is this tension with us. Because we are trying to reconcile that Father God that we read in the Old Testament and, and see the sort of like the vengeful 
all that bad stuff with the beautiful, peace-loving God that we see revealed in Jesus. And we're saying, yeah, I guess on one level it makes sense, but mostly I can't rectify that, so I'll just have to accept it and move on. But what if we just said, wait a sec, God the Father, every aspect of God the Father that you thought you knew before can be just basically reinterpreted and re-understood through this person of Jesus perfectly and clearly. And that's what we're trying to do in the Jesus Collective. That's what we're trying to do here at Grassroots Church is to show that this is who God is. Because that tension you feel between the Father on the one hand and, and the Son, that's the result of a miscalibration. And if we're honest, most of that tension comes from us trying to reconcile what we read about God and the way he acts in the Old Testament with what we read about Jesus and the way he acts in the Gospels. And I think for many of us, this is where the rubber meets the road. You can play some fairly intense mental gymnastics trying to reconcile the God of violence, retribution, punishment, vengeance, all of that for Israel's sake, and Jesus, the God of uh, the peacemaker, the nonviolent, the Jesus, the, the one who leaves the 99 for the wine, remember that, relentlessly pursuing God? The one who turns his cheek for his enemy, not just his friends, not just the people of God, the Israelites, but his enemy. It can be very difficult to reconcile that. And you have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to try. And so it's no wonder there's a tension. And so this is where the second half of this statement comes, um, that all scripture is properly read through Jesus. In other words, as Christians convinced of God being revealed perfectly through Jesus, we now go back to the scriptures and we read all 66 books, 73 for Catholic, all 66 books through the lens of Jesus. Or a Jesus filter, if you like. Uh, and this is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. He says this as he opens up, he or she opens up the book of Hebrews. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets of many times and in various ways. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. That's why I said he or she. Chances are it was he. Okay. Uh, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. In other words, what we see in Jesus surpasses in clarity and in brilliance everything that came before. Our understanding of God is revealed through the scriptures. We're cloudy. They are foggy at best. And when we read backwards, when we start with Jesus as our sort of uh, uh, the lens through which we see, um, we understand anew who God actually is. And we're forced to reconsider how we read these scriptures. How do we understand the Old Testament? And the clarity that ensues is brilliant. Uh, Megan Larissa Good, who's one of the Jesus Collective kind of contributors, she uh, notes that everything that came before was an echo, and Jesus is the originating call. I really like that imagery. Everything that came before was an echo, and Jesus is the originating call. Um, and so if Jesus is the source, he's the original, and the echo is a distortion. It's a reverberation off the walls. But if you don't know the original, all you've got is the echo. 
right? All you've got is the distorted sound, the reverberation. You don't have the original. But when you realize the original voice, you're like, ah, it actually helps me make sense of what the echo is saying. It helps me understand that distortion a little bit clearer. And so this is Jesus' first marker of a new reformation, that Jesus reveals God perfectly and that scripture is properly read when we begin with Jesus and we read backwards. When we have the lens of Jesus as he perfectly reveals this God the Father. Friends, there should not be a tension between the Father and Jesus. Because over and over again, we read in the New Testament that Jesus reveals the Father. He reveals his character. He reveals his heart. And, uh, and so if there is a tension, we need to work on that. We need to figure that out. We need to recognize And there are some wonderful resources. There are some wonderful community right here to engage in these, cha- these challenging conversations with. But that is something as followers of Jesus we are called to pursue because we see that again and again, weave through the New Testament that Jesus reveals the Father. That's why he came. He came to show us what God the Father is like. Now, next week, we will revisit the other four markers. Um, But I want to stop here this morning. And I'm going to invite uh, Rhonda and Matt to come on up, and we can close as we move into communion. And so this morning, we are reminded of the conviction that the character and the heart of Jesus is the perfect revelation of God the Father's character and of his heart. And uh, there is no better place to understand what that character is and what that heart is than at the foot of Calvary, at the cross. And I thought I'd just share this quote from Megan. I read it this week, and I thought, hey, this is really good, actually. It's a great way to help us um, understand the importance of the cross. She says this, if we want to know what God is like, we start with Jesus on the cross. Start there. If you want to know what God is like, you start with Jesus on the cross. He is, this is the pinnacle moment of our faith. If we want to know what power means, it looks like Jesus on the cross. If we want to know what God is working in the world to achieve, well, we find out on the cross. If we want to know God's strategy for how peace will be accomplished, it will be revealed on the cross. All things how we understand everything starts at the cross, period. Which is why week after week, we turn our hearts and our minds back to this pivotal moment in history. And here we are again this morning, participating in a ritual that is as old as the cross itself. We take this bread, we dip it in the cup as this reminder of Jesus' body broken for us and of his blood spilled for us. Amen. So this morning as we uh, come to the table, if you're new here, uh, you just dip your bread into the cup. We have a gluten-free option. As, as you come and uh, partake in this ritual, in this sacrament, um, and as we sing together, I want our hearts to really ask the question, Father, do I see any difference between you and Jesus? And please clarify for me, help me to understand you perfectly revealed through Jesus and perfectly revealed through Jesus on the cross. Amen. You're welcome to the table.